Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is Thursday, September the 8th, 2011. And guess what? Today is also episode 740. We have a really cool show today. It's going to be a, a mini two-parter, I'd call it. I want to do a little bit of follow-up on yesterday uh, and my show about uh, unschooling and changing the education system, just to make sure that what I was saying was understood, because based on some emails and some comments, I don't think it was by everyone, uh, but that'll only be about five minutes. And then we are going to bring on uh, Jim Miller, who is... Uh, a IT specialist that specializes in network security to talk about protecting your data. It's a show we've never done before and one I think we need to do because it's one of the real threats that we have out there. We talk about being debt-free, but if, uh, if, if some dude named Peggy uh, in, uh, in, in Belarus or in, uh, in Romania or uh, Ukraine or something like that runs up 80 grand on your credit card that you didn't know you had because he got one in your name, well, that kind of ruins the whole debt freedom thing uh, that you've worked so hard for. And that's just one threat. We have a lot of threats like that uh, that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about how uh, sophisticated hackers don't really hack technology. They hack people. And that there's, uh, as, there's as Jim will tell you when we get him on, there's no security patch to fix stupid. Uh, so we need to use common sense. And sometimes common sense isn't all that common. So we'll go into that. Before we go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show, though, let's go ahead and take care of those sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Ready Made Resources. I love them because their name says what they do and they do what they say. All the resources you need for your prepping ready to go, uh, point, click, buy, and they ship them straight to your house with great service and great pricing. So check out ReadyMadeResources.com. Remember, they're a huge supporter of the show, folks. They really are. Uh, Robert over there is giving away a $890 valued AR-15 upper from Rock River Arms. It is one of the most badass things I've ever seen. Uh, as far as AR uppers go, uh, I'd love to have one. I'm not getting one, but one of you guys are. All you got to do is fill out a simple form. Make sure if you have not entered that contest yet, you do. I want to see a lot of support for them since they're doing such a big contest. And, hey, you have a reasonable chance of winning this thing. It's not like a lottery where one in, in five million is going to win. You know, one in a few thousand is going to win a pretty significant prize. And, again, all you got to do is fill out a form to, uh, to win that prize. Next up today is BulkAmmo.com. By the way, we have a big prize coming from them a big contest coming from them uh, after the one with ready-made uh, uh, wraps up. So Bulk Ammo has kind of stepped up and put up some big, big stuff. I'll tell you about that when it, when it comes out. Uh, but, you know, until then, if you don't have enough ammo, then your guns are really just overpriced clubs. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I also look at it as we talk about, you know, precious metal all the time. Well, there's a precious metal I think we all need to make sure that we have, and it's called copper-jacketed lead. Uh, because it is so important that we have the means to train, to defend our homes, and to make our firearms actually useful. And your firearm's not just useful uh, if you have ammo for it. You also have to know how to use it. And if you get out and you train often, you can burn through a lot of ammo, especially when you're shooting things like ARs and, and semi-auto handguns and things like that. It's, it's, it's nothing to burn through a couple hundred rounds uh, with one range trip. So if you're going to practice like that, you need ammo, you need it in bulk, and you need it affordable, and you need it delivered quickly uh, to your home. You don't need to be waiting two months for your ammo to show up. Two days is, is more like it. That's what you get from bulk ammo. So check them out. Great pricing, light fast shipping, uh, great service, and uh, you know they do need ID to be able to ship ammo to you. You do that on your first order. After that, you're on the record. Bam, they just ship to you anytime you need it. Uh, so check out bulkammo.com today. Next, remember to connect with me, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Best ways to do that, you'll find links to all of them at the survivalpodcast.com. Check out our gear shop. Uh, we do have some really cool stuff in there now, and I'd like you guys to maybe... Uh, See if you know if you got a few bucks extra laying around, and you could give a little business to Tiffany and Rich. That would be helpful. They work really hard to keep the gear shop, and uh, they really haven't had a huge number of orders in the past month. So uh, if you guys would would think about maybe going over there and seeing if there's something you could use, I'd appreciate that. Last but not least, do consider joining the members support brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get discounts from 29 supporting vendors. You get over 150 dollars worth of free eBooks, and you support the show at a whopping. 
18.3 cents an episode. I always say 20 cents, but when I actually did the math, it's 18.3 cents. So if you think every time you're done listening to this show that was worth two dimes, consider joining the MSB. Law enforcement, military, Peace Corps, prior service, or active duty. If you'd like a discount code, send me the details of your service, your job, things like that. You know, I was in this unit for this long in these years, and this was my job. That's all I need to verify that you are our military Peace Corps or, or, or law enforcement, and I will send you a special code just for you when you join uh, that gives you a national service discount is what we call it. All right, with that, the housekeeping's wrapped up. As I said, before I bring our guest on, I do want to say just a little bit about the concept of unschooling from yesterday. Uh, I've gotten a lot of emails from people that basically just say it won't work for some kids. It just won't. Um, I, I, I think I acknowledged that. And I think I acknowledge that through the system that I laid out. Uh, please, if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, you, you might want to listen to it so all this will make sense. But it, the, what I laid out was this, that a, a student would go to school, whether it was a home school or a, a public school or a private school, and up till about fourth grade, they pretty much do what they do now uh, to a degree. Maybe I, there's some things I'd like to see changed. But those aren't real, those are really kind of mechanical changes, not giving them that much freedom. Kids have to be able to read, write, and do math. And I believe that we can get the majority of what they know taught to them by the fourth grade, uh, what they need to know. And that we can continue that education through, you know, through, you know, middle school and, and junior high and, and what have you. But we can get the vast majority, how to do multiplication, division, subtraction, fractions, and percentages in math. Uh, if you, and if you could do that long division, complex multiplication, and very, very basic algebra. Okay, not complex algebra, very, very basic algebra, practical algebra that people actually can learn to use and then take that and put it into their head and actually do fairly complex things in their brain. Right? You know, like if you were doing 17 times 23, right? You could do, uh, uh, 23 times 10. Plus 23 times 7, that's a lot easier to do it in your head, put the two numbers together. If that's too complex, you know, maybe your school didn't teach you how to do things like that. Um, so we do need, we do need that type of an education for our kids. And during that time, some basic understanding of, of the nation, its history, some scientific principles and things like that. And all that stuff doesn't go away. But let's say by fifth grade, That student should then be given maybe 20% of their time where they're told, you know what, you can study any subject you want, any way that you want. And I had people emailing me, but in this day and age of video games, you give them freaking video games, you mental midget, I'm sorry. And I've had people say, well, I could see that in the 80s, but not now. Listen, folks, I had video games in the 80s. I had lots of video games in the 80s. What I didn't have was an Internet. There's no better time ever in the history of the world to do this because anything you want to know, you can learn like that. You can learn it like that fast with Google. You can Google the question and find the answer to, you know, 99% of the questions a person asks can be answered just like that. In fact, there's a website called Just Effing Google It, but it's not with the effing, it's the F word, you know, F word, I-N-G, just effing Google it.com. And uh, basically it was designed as a spoof thing where you create like a, a cloak link, like a bit.ly link or a tiny URL link when somebody asks you a stupid question in an email and you say your answer is here and it's Bart Simpson, right? I will Google before I ask stupid questions and there's a search box for Google. And that's how blunt it really is. Whatever you want to know, you can find out on Google. So let's say you had a kid that you know, d didn't learn the basics. Well, they don't get the 20% of the time. It's, it's a reward for doing what they're supposed to do. And this is the big distinction I don't think I actually made yesterday. It's why I wanted to do the update today. We send our kids to school to learn now. That's what we do. We send them to school and we say, go learn stuff. Go learn stuff, which means memorize things to the point of irrelevance so that you can pass a test. And then once you pass that test, uh, you'll forget 90% of the information and never use it again anyway. That's not what we should be doing with schools. We should be sending school kids to school so they can be taught how to learn. Instead of learning at school, you should learn how to learn at school. You should be building students to the point where they have the skills and the discipline to take on responsibility for their own education. And if you can't get a kid to the point where he can be responsible for 20% of that, By the time he is in fifth grade, you suck as a teacher. Now, all of you teachers that are mad right now, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying the system won't let you do it. I believe most of you could do it. I believe most of you would do an amazing job at it. 
but it's not the way the system is. And you know why the system isn't that way? Because if we taught children how to learn, the bullshit with the college system would start to dry up and go away. And we'd only have about half of the people that currently go to college going to college, and the other half of the people would self-direct their learning in other ways. And that would be a very good thing for America, but a very bad thing for the people that are growing fat and happy on the backs of student loans, both in the university system and in the banking system. There's my follow-up on yesterday. That's all I got to say on the matter. If you're going to email me again about how some kids have ADD or whatever bullshit, I'll tell you what cured ADD in my day. A crack on the ass cured ADD like that. And, and, and we didn't have any kids running around up and down the aisles in the school when I was in grade school because they would end up with a ruler on their ass. And I don't think that is something we should just do whenever willy-nilly. But if that's what it takes to put a kid in his seat, that's what it takes to put a kid in his seat. And you know what? He'll recover. It's not like you're beating him with a club or something. And I'll tell you what. It works. And there, there are, and I'm going to get emails, well, well, I know this one kid. And yes, there's one out of a thousand kids that are on the dope they give you. And it's dope. It's methamphetamine. We're giving our kids, don't do drugs, take some speed. Right? I don't want to go off on a rant there, but it's all crap. Any human being put into a proper training system will learn what that system's training them to do. Our system is training them to regurgitate information. If we built a system that trained them to learn, they just might learn how to learn. Just saying. All right, with that, I got all of that out of my system now. I, I want to introduce our, our, our guest today. And as I said during the introduction segment, we're doing a first-ever show. I've never really done a show on information security, uh, web security, protecting your identity online, and all that type of stuff. Because I'm not an expert, and I try to use the basic tools and basic common sense, but there's a lot of stuff going on out there that's really a risk. There's things that are outside of our control, like... Uh, I got a letter one time from the Department of Veteran Affairs that said somebody stole a computer with my information on it, but I wasn't supposed to worry about it. And that's outside of what I can control. But there's a lot of things we can control, and most of us are online every day. Uh, so I was really excited when uh, Jim Miller, who's on the line uh, hanging on for us right now, who's a security analyst that specializes in securing companies in the financial sector, uh, offered to do uh, an interview with me. Uh, Jim ensures that controls are in place to prevent security breaches and protect information in his job. Uh, his areas of expertise include vulnerability management, intrusion detection, threat analysis, risk analysis, and he's a certified information security professional and a certified information systems auditor. So he's a really sharp guy. He also is a prepper and writes for uh, Self-Reliance Illustrated Magazine, Dave Canterbury's uh, magazine, so he's familiar with uh, this type of identity protection, and the concerns of people that listen to the show. So, hey, Jim, thanks for uh, joining us today on the Survival Podcast. No problem. Glad to be here. Hey, um, you know, I mean, I just kind of want to really get right into it. Uh, I think a lot of people out there underestimate uh, how big some of these threats are to their personal information. Can you talk about, I mean, just day-to-day you know, home networks and, and being online, what are some of the, the, the biggest threats to people's personal information out there today? Uh, providing too much information when you think about it. Uh, most people give information online without even thinking about it. You know, you think about Facebook. Why would they need information like your um, address, phone number, all your friends, everything they like, you know, bands, foods, restaurants, any type of business, um, there are even fields in there for including, uh, you know, relationships. Oh, this is my mother, this is my brother, stuff like that. <clears throat> so really not providing your information in the first place is probably the best thing you can do. Um, along those lines, passwords, that's the simplest thing you can do. Use complex passwords. So you want, uh, you know, a lot of characters, at least eight characters, at least one uppercase, at least one lowercase, at least one number, at least one special character. Don't use the same passwords on every site. So if somebody compromises your Facebook account, they also have your online banking password. Uh, they shouldn't be guessable. You know, don't use family names, any hobbies, your house number, anything like that. It's really pretty common sense stuff. What are your feelings? I use a password tool called RoboForm, which lets me use complex passwords and not have to remember anything. And, of course, it itself is password protected. Are you familiar with that type of technology? What are your thoughts on it? That technology, yeah. I use, uh, I've use. i used something similar in the past. 
Um, the only problem with that is if they compromise your password for that tool itself, then they've got all your passwords. So sure. you're putting all your eggs in one basket there. Sure, but they have to get access to your machine to do that. So I think there's probably some other things we can do. I mean, what are some things we can do to protect our home networks uh, and our, our you know networks? I mean, almost everybody's on wireless today, and I know there's a lot of unsecured wireless networks out there, uh, and people think just because they can't, you know, people think just because they can't get into their other computers through their network, I guess that maybe hackers can't. <clears throat> That's uh, totally not true. Um, some of the basic things you want to do, you know, don't install software that you, you don't know of. You know, you might find something on the Internet that says it does X, Y, and Z for you, but it also could have a Trojan horse installed where it's got a keylogger on it. So every password you put in there is going to capture your password and send it back to whoever wrote the malicious software. Um, you should have a personal firewall, absolutely. Uh, antivirus is a must. Um, a lot of these commercial suites like McAfee and Symantec and some of that these days have everything kind of built into one with like antivirus, anti-spyware, personal firewalls. Uh, get one of the big guys, and you really can't go wrong there. Like Kapersky is another one. Um, there are some free versions out there, but you kind of get what you pay for. <clears throat> but on that note, there is like custom malware out there. I mean, you can buy malicious software or malware that's guaranteed to not have a signature that to be undetected for like 30 days, for example. Um, there's a lot of the malware for sale for malicious purposes. Really it's also that stuff, stuff coming out of like you know Romania and, exactly. and, and Estonia, like, yeah, the Ukraine, uh, the countries. Is a Ukrainian. I hate I hate admitting that, but it's my 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 family's old country is is one of the biggest sources of stuff like that. Now, one of the big trends I've seen. I'm wondering if you could comment on this. Is that these guys are developing a malware. It makes it look like your computer's infected, and then the malware itself offers to scan your computer for you. Yeah, it's then you say yes, and then it, it scans it for you and tells you have all these problems and says it fixed five of the 19 problems and just enter your credit card number and it'll fix the rest. And, of course, if you do that, not only have you given the money, you've now given your credit card number to the people that wrote the malware in the first place. Right, and any pop-up like that, you really have to watch what you click on because some of those things will automatically install malicious software just by clicking on a link in one of those. <clears throat> That's scareware, though. It's running rampant in the wild right now. And uh, what do you mean by in the wild? That's probably something a lot of folks aren't sure, sure what you mean by that. Um, just kind of out, without using the term in the wild again, <laughs> um, just out there on the Internet, you know, everyday users clicking on things, you know, even corporate networks. Um, kind of not in a controlled environment, just out there spreading around the Internet. Now, years and years ago, um, I quickly snapped to a feeling that, as far as browsers went, that you were better off with Firefox or Safari than Internet Explorer, and I've been anti-Internet Explorer for, you know, as long as Internet Explorer's been around now. I think they've made some upgrades, but are there, are there some black browser platforms that are just inherently more secure than others. I know you can still get malware and things like that through Firefox and other browsers, but is there really a security level difference at this point between the different browser platforms? Um, well, I personally use Firefox still at home. I'm just kind of an old-school security guy. The new Internet Explorer 9, they're claiming is like the most secure browser out there. Uh, I have not personally used it yet, but um, Chrome, I've been using Chrome lately as well. That seems to be pretty good. Um, the browser security is a lot better than it used to be, I'll put it that way. But another thing, actually, patching. A lot of people don't patch their machines. You need security patches out there. You know, Windows updates, enable automatic Windows updates, um, third-party software like Adobe and Java are really big ones. That's, those are probably two of the pieces of software out there that have the most vulnerabilities just because they're so targeted all the time. You know, uh, Hackers attack Adobe products because you think about it, almost every Internet-facing PC in the world has some type of Adobe product out there. Yeah, there was a big compromise uh, issue with Flash as a whole uh, a couple of years ago, wasn't there, going through the Flash uh, plugins or something like that. I remember my network security guy had disabled Flash on every machine on the network, and I was ready to kill him over it until yeah. so I found out how, how serious the threat really was. and was like, well, you need a patch and get it back on, but, but it was a legitimate serious threat through the, the Flash. So that meant, like, you know, YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Um, as I said, yeah, Flash is another one of the big ones that, that people go after. They used to go after 
operating system like Windows level vulnerabilities more often, but they've gotten pretty good. Actually, Windows 7 is a lot better on security than even XP or Vista was. So they're, they're typically going after application level vulnerabilities at this point. Um, but bottom line, don't run things you don't need to. If, if nothing on your computer is running or it needs Java or Flash or anything like that, just don't run it because the more things you have running on your computer, the more things they have to attack. Sure, sure. And, and what are what are some of like the big? I mean, it, what's the big goal out there right now in in the, the hacker community? Is it identity theft? Is it is it credit card numbers? Is it compromising your machine and access to your accounts? Is it all of the above? Is there any kind of hierarchy there, or they're just vermin everywhere trying to do everything? Well, here's kind of the way uh, the hacking rolled out over the years. You know, first hackers were initially just people that like tinkering with computers and modifying them. You know, then there are people that tried to kind of see what they could get away with. Then uh, the era of script kiddies or kids that just use hacker tools, you know, you think about a 15-year-old sitting in their parents' basement um, using hacker tools that they download for free off the Internet, just hitting some poor company's IP addresses. Um, and then lately, you know, you've heard about these hacks with uh, Anonymous and Lulsec. I don't know if you've picked up on any of these in the mainstream media. Absolutely. <clears throat> so that's... That falls under hacktivism, people that are hacking because they're trying to do it for a cause. Um, 2011 has been called the year of the hack. So there's the hacktivists going on right now, but then there's also things like the Russian Business Network. Um, a lot of it is just for-profit information. Information um, security is so important. You know, Identity theft is like the fastest-growing crime in America right now. And you can buy social security numbers for, I think, like, a few dollars a piece, you know, in certain like card or networks and stuff like that. They have like auctions on people's credit card info. I, I saw that on like 2020 or something like that, where people bid on it and they sell to like 10 people at the same time. And then once the guys buy it, they're out there all trying to buy as much crap as they can as fast as they can before it gets shut down or runs out of uh, limit. Right. Um, and there's one thing you can do kind of to help that. Some of the uh, card companies now have like one-time cards you can use where you contact them somehow. I need to look into it more. But they give you like a one-time credit card that you can use just for that one transaction. So if that number gets compromised, it's not attached really to your card anymore. It's not going to affect you anymore. So I guess it's like a revolving number, like it changes? or Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, my solution is don't use credit cards. But if you're using a bank credit card that's really a check card, it's the same vulnerability. They they just you know they can get your money instead of charge it against your money. Um, so that's that's a huge risk for everybody out there. Um, I, I think there's a, a, on the identity theft side things beyond prevention. What are your thoughts on services like LifeLock? Are they worth the money, or do you have any experience with those at all? Um, LifeLock really doesn't do anything from what I've gathered that you can't do yourself as far as you know, putting holds on your credit and not let, which pretty much don't let anybody open any cards in your name. Um, so I don't know if I'd pay the money for LifeLock. Um, you know, Xander Insurance has a, a product that's actually identity theft insurance, which might actually be better than uh, the prevention products. So instead of trying to prevent it, you try to prevent it, and they cover your your ass if it, if it, if you fail. Exactly. Yep. I think Dave Ramsey recommends that. That's the yeah, that's where I found out about it originally. Okay, cool. Cool. And, I mean, some, what are some other things that people can do? I mean, like, what about portable data? A lot of people carry around the USB sticks and stuff like that. Can you tell people maybe some ways to make the data they're carrying on that a little bit more safe? Uh, um, yeah, one product comes to mind. Well, there's a lot of secure USB drives that are marketed out there. I've seen them with, you know, biometric authentication. So you need to match your thumbprint before you can open the drive. But, you know, that thing was like, Fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars. Um, what I personally use is something called an Iron Key, and actually, John McCann did a a write up on uh, his website recently about that. Um, so essentially, it's it's a USB drive that uses military grade encryption. Um, it you have to put in you know a long password for it. Um, and if you put in the wrong password ten times in a row, it completely wipes the drive. So it's kind of like actually a do not or a self-destructing feature. So it just wipe formats it basically, and all the yeah, information. exactly. So don't forget your password if you want your information back. But if somebody gets their hands on it, um, you know it's still secure. And that brings me to another one that recently I can't remember exactly who did this. I don't remember if it was 
Department of the Army or if it was a major bank, but they wanted to test security vulnerability. So they went and they put USB sticks out in their parking lot. They just tossed them out there like they were lost. Yeah, that's called a road apple. Yeah, and like 60% of the employees that found one took it inside, stuck it in their computer. Now, it didn't do anything except basically said this guy's stupid and he, he plugged it in. Um, but they just wanted to test their own vulnerabilities. And, I, I mean, to me that means if you find anything like an MMC card or a drive or anything like that, don't go sticking it in a computer. Exactly. I mean, they had um, digital picture frames you know, that came from China that were infected when they rolled out of the factory before, a few years ago. Um, those road apples, though, you think about it, you know, um, it's happened on federal government networks. I was reading about one. You know, they just dropped some USB drives in the parking lot, and people want to see what's on it. So they plug it into confidential computers. You know, plugging it in then opens a back door and calls home to whatever nation state they were part of, and uh, they now have a back door into that federal network. I mean, and they're in. I mean, they're they're all the way in because at that point, that device is plugged in as a physical connection to that machine. The user's credentials are already entered to have the machine locked on. Exactly. I mean, it is it is absolute drive a truck through hole in the network at that point. Absolutely. I always uh, there's a saying I always use. There's no security patch for stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can have every technological control and have you know ten firewalls and all your software up to date. But as soon as you get a user to click on something they shouldn't, you, you're in. Yeah, I remember when the Internet first started up and there were a lot of these viruses, things coming around that were like, you know, click on this and open it. And you just looked at it and went, I'm not opening that. And some people would. And I remember telling one of the people at our office one time, I could set up a, a, a tool, you know, a, a, a damaging virus. I could call it Disk Destroyer Executive, and these people would still open it. So I guess there are people that we can't help. But, I mean, the problem is we can be smart about the way we protect our home information, but we then work with these people, and our like, if it's like you know, HR has all our information. So if we have a dumb person in our work environment, I guess that's where guys like you step in, and you have to spend all your time looking out for the people that don't have a stupid patch. Exactly. I mean, um, RSA Security, okay, it's a big IT security company. This year, uh, they had a, a targeted attack. So apparently, uh, I believe it was a nation state, figured out who worked there based on it. I think they got the information from Facebook. Sent them a targeted email, like a spear phishing email, um, with an, a, an attachment, an Excel spreadsheet that I think it had some type of macro setting in it. Anyway, they were able to get them to open the spreadsheet and then took control of their computers and they were trying to get into RSA because they had information to help them get into a large defense contractor. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's another thing. Like if you get a spreadsheet from somebody that, that does that and occasionally you get one from a trusted source where they've used um, for some type of, you know, to link formulas together or whatever, they've used macros. But if you get a spreadsheet from an unknown source that says, do you want to enable macros, that's probably a bad idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the uh, the more and more technological controls we come up with and put on the network, the more the bad guys are just going back to social engineering and, and the simple, the low-tech attacks of going after people. Yeah, I mean, there's always the, 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 uh, the, the, the phishing ones that I don't understand how anybody falls for. You know, I'm a Nigerian prince, and... Uh, I've got $45 million from my dad that I need to get out of Nigeria. And if you send me your bank account number, I'll wire it to you and you can keep half of it or whatever. Um, but there's, there's stuff that's, you know, far more sophisticated. One I saw recently, I got an email from somebody. Actually, it looked like a message that came from eBay. And it said, you know, um, I, I, I don't understand why you gave me negative feedback. Please re retract it. I'll leave negative feedback on you. Uh, triggering, you know, an angry response. So I'm thinking I didn't sell anything or buy anything on eBay for the past six months. I don't know what this dude's talking about. And uh, when I hovered over the link, you know, I could see that it was a redirect URL. And basically they were trying to pass you through a frame, get you into eBay, and log in your eBay credentials. Right. So if some of your listeners don't know, a phishing attack is it's like an email phishing with a PH. It's like an email that comes, say, you're a customer of maybe U.S. Bank. So you get an email that's a 
there's a problem with your account, you know, please click here now and log into the U.S. Bank website to correct it. Um, just using them as an example, not picking on the big boys. And it'll take you to a website that looks exactly like the U.S. Bank website. Well, then you put in your your ID and password to get in. Well, now they they have your U.S. Bank ID and password, and they can use that to get to your money. So the things to look out for there is the phishing attacks are tend to uh, scare you or you know upset you and incite an immediate response. So you're not thinking clearly. So you go ahead and click and you know go ahead and enter your information, trying to see what's wrong with it. And you've just given them the keys to the castle as far as your account goes. And I mean, they don't even worry about whether you're a U.S. Bank customer because I get that one. I get the one for Sun Bank. I get the one for Bank of America. And I don't have accounts with any of those people. They just know if they send out 50 billion emails, a lot of the people will have accounts there. Exactly. Uh, if they send a, an email to 5 million people and they get 1,000 people that click on it and enter their password, well, that didn't hardly cost them anything, and they just got access to you know 1,000 bank accounts. You know, and I mean, my thing, though, is that a lot of people think about, you know, they think about the big stuff, the Social Security number, the credit card information, bank accounts, but there's a real effort to hack things like Facebook accounts, Google accounts, and things like that, because then I've got access to your, because you said, like you said, go low-tech, focus on people. Now I've got access to your network of contacts. I can get all kinds of information if I pose as you. Yeah, I mean, think about this, you know, you used to do marketing. Facebook and Google essentially come down to marketing companies. You know, they have, as I said, they know what bands you like, what restaurants you like, who your friends are. So you list somebody as your mother, your brother, your sister, um, any relationships you have there, phone numbers, addresses, anything like that. It's a, it's a marketer's dream. But that's exactly, I mean, information is the currency of, you know, the modern day. So you have to wonder why is Facebook free still, right? because they're making money off of your information. Google's jumped on board with Google+. Plus. They're doing the exact same thing. Well, they're making a mint on it because, I mean, as a marketer myself, if I can put my, for the Survival Podcast, if I can advertise only to people uh, that fit my primary demographic, that spend all their time looking at other sites about preparedness, my response rate's going to be much higher. So that's a legitimate use of the information that's voluntarily given, but then that information is stored and it's subjective and people can find it. And I think, I don't know, I think like 25 years ago, nobody would have wanted to put that much information out there about themselves and their public profile on anything. And, and today people willingly give it because they just want to connect with other people that think the same way or listen to the same music. And it's like a blessing and a curse because yeah, well, you form these great communities, but then we also have this extreme vulnerability because I know too much about you. If, I, if I'm a malicious person with the knowledge I can get off a Facebook account, I can do a lot of damage. Exactly. Absolutely. So, I mean, do you have any advice for, like, parents? I get parents all the time. You know, my kid wants a Facebook account. All their friends have a Facebook account. Um, you know, they're not in the, in the group if they don't have one, too. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to step on their toes completely, but I also don't want, you know, I don't want to risk a trial predator. I don't want them giving away information about me that can be used in, in something like this. Uh, I don't want them doing something stupid that's going to come back to haunt them 10 years later, like posting pictures of themselves blasted drunk and then they're running for Congress. I guess that really wouldn't affect anything anymore. But you know what I mean? So sure. how does a parent, you know, with that kid that's getting old enough for Facebook and still pretty young, try to protect their kid? Add them as a friend. Monitor their activities online. Keep that computer in a public area of the house where you, you can monitor what they're doing. Because a lot of the predators that are out there are going after kids on Facebook. Absolutely. Um, actually, I know of uh, a teenager who has two Facebook profiles, one that he's friends with his mom and one that he's not, and he does everything he doesn't want her to know about with the other one. That's and that's really hard to police. Exactly. <laughs> I guess if you have one that you're you're monitoring and there's never any activity on it and he's always on the computer, that could be a clue. I also heard something recently I'd like you know your thoughts on uh, on this issue. I was watching some on TV, and they were saying that parents should have their children's username and password to accounts like this, um, not so much so they can go behind them and look at everything that they're doing, you know, if they want to do you know, a friend thing and see that. But should that kid disappear, having access to everything they were doing right up till that point happened is going to help investigators a lot with finding out where, where that kid is. Well, the example I just said, I mean, it's the first thing to come to mind. So you have the 
ID and password for the one account, but what about the other email account or the other Facebook account that you don't know about, that that's the one that they're communicating with the predators with? I don't think it would help that much. Sure, sure. A kid might not post pictures of themselves, you know, drunk if their parents are looking at their Facebook, sure. but they might on the other one. Yeah. Uh, another thing with that, uh, a lot of employers these days are actually searching for people on Facebook and just seeing what kind of person they are before they hire them. And a lot of people have not gotten jobs because of stuff they posted on Facebook. And check your privacy settings. <laughs> Seriously, so many people have things set to public, and you can see things Everything. that strangers should not be able to see. Take them seriously. They they change them all the time on Facebook. Take them seriously. Only let your friends see your information, and only accept friends you really know. Yeah, I I, I get a tremendous number of requests, and I accept very few of them. I try to, as a business, I would say that you're much better interacting with your marketplace through a fan page or something like that. It doesn't give away the personal information uh, that that a you know a personal profile does. Exactly. Like I know of uh, several people actually in this industry that have their own fan page, but their own private Facebook page. Gotcha, gotcha. What are some other threats that are out there, just things that maybe people haven't heard of or don't really think about? Um, wireless. People plug in a wireless router and just, they think they're good. Um, my guy did that in a story I read about recently, and next thing you know, his door was getting kicked in, and he had a SWAT team pointing guns at his head. Uh, what happened was somebody was using his wireless network and downloading uh, inappropriate material of miners, um, and it got traced back to his IP address. Next thing you know, the you know there was a warrant to come in and point guns at his head. So that's an interesting thing because it wasn't so much a vulnerability that someone could jump on his network, see the other devices on his network, and then and and then steal information off his computer. Uh, so you, you can handle that with a firewall, even. But yeah. just the fact that they were able to use his network for something they didn't want to obviously didn't want to use their own network for, and, sure. and that caused him issues. There's something called war driving, where uh, hackers will drive around with the wireless laptop set in promiscuous mode, and just jump on every wireless network they can, and they'll document. It. And there are websites out there where you can go find all the open wireless networks in your city and go jump on them and poke around their network if you want. Yeah, there was like a trend one time in New York. I think they were doing it in Chicago too, where people were doing it with handheld devices. And yeah. every time they found a place you could get a signal, they were like spray painting an X on the sidewalk or something yep. like that. Yep. Uh, another important thing is to encrypt your traffic. Use a WEP encryption. Well, that's better than nothing, but it can be broken pretty quickly with freely available hacker tools that you can pull down off the internet. Um, try and use WPA or more importantly WPA2. Um, you know, turn off your Wi-Fi if it's not in use. Use a personal firewall. Um, keep your signal strength low so, you know, people really far away can't pick up on your signal. Um, really, you know, you just need it around your house. You're, you don't even need your neighbors to be able to jump on. Um, change the default passwords on your wireless router. You don't know how many people get hacked because they just have default passwords. and You can often tell what type of device is running and you know, you can just Google the default password on that device, and next thing you know, you, you own that wireless network. Um, and passwords like password, exactly one two three four five are not good passwords. Exactly, it goes right back to the complex passwords I was talking about. Um, you can filter wireless networks by MAC addresses. A MAC address is a media access control to a hardware level address for a device, um, so you can filter it so you can set it up. You know, so only the MAC address of the machines that you own can jump on that network. Yes, MAC addresses can be spoofed, but by that time, they're probably just going to move on to the next guy and not, not bother with that. Well, because it's one more step. It's a lot like, you know, having a padlock on your tool shed. Yeah, I can get a pair of bolt cutters and, and cut it, or I can get a crowbar and pry off the latch. Exactly. But if the guy next door's tool shed has got the door open... Well, I'm going to go there, unless I know you've got something really valuable. So I guess the other thing is you have to assess what is your, you know, we're all targets, but some people are higher level targets than others. Uh, you know, Raytheon would be a much higher level target than Joe Blow's, you know, inner tubes or, or exactly. what. Exactly. Just, you know, don't make yourself interesting. Don't publish your SSID. Just do everything you can to keep them from getting on. Uh, I personally don't even run wireless at home. My uh, my wife asked me to, and I, I said, I'm not going to do it until I can take the time to set it up correctly. And, 
four years later, that still hasn't happened. Because <laughs> I'm a paranoid security guy by nature. Well, yeah, you guys are always a little hyper reactive, but the more Absolutely. I learn, the more I understand. Um, and, and cables work really good, and they're a lot harder to get through than a, uh, you know, a, a wireless router. But to me, anytime we're connected to the internet, we're vulnerable. And that brings me to another subject people don't think about. What are your thoughts on wireless devices like iPhones and iPads and all and, and Androids and all? Um, are there vulnerabilities there that people maybe don't think about, other than just the regular Internet usage vulnerabilities? Uh, there's an increase in malware that's written for handheld devices. That's probably the biggest thing now. Uh, you know, Apple products typically didn't have to worry about it too much, but there's even this year there's been a big uptick in uh, Apple-related malware, uh, whether or not Apple will admit that or not. Um, but as you know, they're growing in market share. They're just going to be a bigger and bigger target. Um, you're still somewhat safe with you know Linux or Unix Unix-based stuff. I personally have an Android, but I, I run antivirus on it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, you would think that you would have some level of protection on like an iPad or iPhone because at least on the applications, because they'll have to go through an approval process, but. I don't know who's doing that approval process and how rigorous it really is because it seems to me if you could get malware into an app and right. uh, a, a couple million apps before you, you activate it, I think that must have made another thing people need to understand. You can have a real problem without knowing it for a long time because a lot of these guys that do this stuff, especially like a denial of service attack or whatever, they wait until they have enough penetration before they even make their presence known. Yeah, absolutely. Um I don't ever run Wi-Fi on my phone. That's just an easier way to attack. I just run everything through the 3G. And that's got some of its own levels of security and all that are taken care of by the provider then. Yeah. Now, I work in a downtown urban environment, so I could be walking on the street and there could be people trying to get into my phone. I never know it. Gotcha. And I guess another thing people need to think about is just you know basic common sense when you're on a phone. I mean, I've heard conversations in public that you just think, does this guy realize he's sitting on a train? You know, oh, yeah. surrounded by 20 other people. Yeah. I've heard people give out account numbers, social security numbers, just walking That's around on their phone, especially once they put those earbuds in and it kind of tunes them out to what's around them. Yep. Absolutely. I see stuff like that all the time downtown. You walk by, you know, an open cafe or something. You, you walk by somebody, it's called uh, shoulder surfing. You just walk by and they've got all this, like, account information and Oh. You know, research and development information for their company, and they're sitting here at Starbucks working on this, not thinking that, that somebody's looking over their shoulder at what what's up on their screen. Wow, well, that's a level of you know, and that's that's where you guys get real hyper uh, freaked out about things, and, and and people like me that don't do stuff like that wonder why you're always on edge, and, and look like I had six cups of coffee this morning already. <laughs> yeah, we're we're paranoid by nature, but I mean, you know. It's kind of my job is to, to look at everything as a threat and, and determine the appropriate level of controls to make sure that we're not affected by it. Is there any particular malware or virus or anything that's kind of running around out there right now that's 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 doing some real damage that's kind of on you guys' radar? Um, nothing really specifically. There, there's just so much malware out there, and they're writing, uh, you know, like polymorphic viruses that. They change all the time, so pretty much every time they infect something, they'll change. So they're just slightly different, so they won't be picked up by antivirus software. Um, one thing to, to note is a lot of the security tools are the same tools that the hackers use and vice versa. So, you know, I've used a website called VirusTotal before. So if you find an infected file or a file you think is infected, you can upload it to that website, and it'll run through the top 20 antivirus vendors and tell you if they have signatures for that. Well, the guys writing the viruses can submit it there, too. So they can tell right away whether or not their virus is going to get picked up. Got you. So they'll actually submit their own file to see if anybody knows. Yeah. That way they can kind of uh, police the longevity of what they're doing, and they know when to make their changes. Sure. And this malicious software for hire, I mean, there's, you know, they'll guarantee certain uh, – Cyber criminals out there, they'll guarantee that you won't be picked up for 30 days or whatever. And they offer support contracts for some of their malicious <laughs> software. I'm, I'm serious. You got a warranty and a support contract for criminal software from a criminal, and the damnedest thing is they probably honor it. But you think about these countries that produce a lot of this stuff. Okay, You've got a lot of really bright people that are really smart about this topic and no jobs for them. So no if somebody offers them a steady job right and 
you know, malicious software and you're a developer, you don't care as long as you're feeding your family, right? Especially when you know that most of your victims are sitting over in either Western Europe or, or, or North America and you feel yeah. like that's, that's them, the hell with them. And, and I, you know, I got to make my, uh, my, my rubles or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's just a tremendous amount of stuff out there. Is there like any websites that you monitor? Uh, or provide a kind of ongoing update information that would be good for people to use as resources or just general, like, protect yourself websites so you can trust the advice on them? Uh, U.S. CERT has a lot of good information that might be a little technical for, for, uh, most people that aren't in the field. Um, the city of Seattle website, actually, if you, uh, go to seattle.gov and click on departments and information technology, there's a, or just technology, there's an information security section. And they actually do a really good job informing their citizens about, you know, scams that are out there, viruses that are out there right now, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, there's an unsolicited endorsement for that website. It's, it's just a good example. Um, I can try and find you some links to put in the show notes as well. That would be great if you could do that. Um, I think the big thing people need to remember is that there's just certain things that your bank or Google or Facebook or eBay will never ask you for. They're never going to ask you to click on a link to log in. They figure you know how to get to Google or you know how to get to eBay because you already have an account there. And I think that's the biggest thing is if if you ever see an email that says there's anything wrong or anything needs to be updated or any survey they want you to take or anything like that, it says click a link to go there. If you really just have to know if it's legitimate, go there directly versus through the link and log into your account and if they really want something from you, they'll tell you when you log in. Either type the URL in yourself or call the number at the bottom of your statement or on the back of your card. Don't use the number because they've set up fake call centers before, too, for these scams. Sure. So you think you're calling this bank and you're calling somebody and God knows where. The accents tip them off a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> this is Peggy. I <laughs> commercial. <laughs> With the Russian guy, you know, I can't remember who it is, some credit card company, and it's a big fat Russian dude out in the middle of the snow, and he's like, exactly, you know, this is Prime Credit, and this is Peggy, how may I help you? Exactly. <laughs> That's not too far from the truth. But in their case, they weren't even hackers, though. That was just poor customer service, but, you know, that's the thing. You can... You can go to like, and this is a great tool to use for a business. I use a, a website called Call8, K-A-L-L, the number 8.com, and you can set up a 800 number for 2 bucks a month, and uh, you can forward it to any phone number you want it to go to, and it, it not only that, it will record the calls that come into it if you set it onto like a voicemail thing. I mean, but, and it's a great tool, and just like Facebook, it's a great thing, but it, when I start thinking about all the stuff you're telling me about, if I had no morals, what I could do with that technology and how much manipulation, I mean, you can even set that thing if somebody calls you based on the area code or prefix or state they're calling from to route to different numbers. So people from Florida would go to one place, people from Georgia to another, and, I mean, yeah. it's, it's frightening what could be done. There's an Android app out there. I can spoof your phone number. Oh, really? I can call your house, put in your cell phone number, and your wife would think it was you calling, and it would be me from my cell phone calling, making it look like it was your number. You know, I get emails from people all the time when somebody's used their email address to send something out, like a spam or whatever. And all of the people always say the same thing. I don't know how, but my email address got hacked. And my thought is, your email address didn't get hacked. They just picked an email address. It happened to be yours. Right. And they, they sent it as you. I mean, a lot of ISPs will prevent you from using the, the, the server to send something out if it's not coming from, you know, your own email with your own password. But there's, if you have an illegitimate company, they'll let you send it as anybody. I right. mean, if you set up a server in Mumbai, you could send emails anywhere in the world as anybody you want them to be. I've even seen scripts that will do things like they take a list of 50,000 emails, they grab one email, and they send an email to 10 of the people on the list as that one. And then they grab the 11th one and they send it to another, and they keep doing that so that they never get traced back as the sender. And, and yeah. they're just, you, your email just happened to get used because you were the, uh, the, the bait instead of the mark. Right, exactly. And, you know, from a corporate standpoint, spam filters will catch a lot of that stuff, but you know, not everybody has that from a home use. Um, again, for companies listening out there, build a solid vulnerability management program. Patch your machines, patch, patch, patch your machines. Um, get a penetration test done. You know, they're, uh, 
quote, ethical hackers out there, you know, I'm very familiar with them. I, I work with a lot of them. Um, you hire them to come in and pretend they're a hacker and show you the problems before you get hacked by the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a term in the SEO world called black hat and SEO, of course, being search engine optimization and black hat SEO is seen as kind of this dark and dirty world of the Viagra salesman or whatever. But the term from my understanding originally came from hackers that were just that they were the black hat in the hacker world wasn't necessarily the guy trying to steal your ID in Romania. He was the guy that could actually was the elite hacker that could show you where your vulnerabilities are. Well, there's there's black hat hackers which are the bad guys, and there's white hat hackers which are the security practitioners that are pretty much hackers that just are are being a good guy. Uh, and there's kind of some gray area there, like <laughs> gray hat hackers, where they're, like, that sounds, they're a security that professional like during the day, but they're a hacker at night. That that sounds exactly like SEO. You black hat or white hat? Uh, kind of gray, you know. But it's a different world there because you're not breaking laws in that world like like these folks are here. Sure, a, a penetration test is perfectly legal as long as you have the the legal documentation behind it and your sure. company is supporting you to do so. Now they're not cheap. I'll, I'll tell you that up front. Now, one of my big issues as a user with spam filters has always been the over-aggressive spam filter and things getting missed by clients and, and supervisors. When I used to have a job and had an actual boss, I had a job title at one company, and in my title was the word specialist. And the spam filter was so uh, aggressive that it was filtering out that any email I sent with my title in it because specialist has the word Cialis buried inside it. And, you know, I had a boss that was pissed off, that was convinced I wasn't submitting reports, I wasn't ever emailing her, I wasn't doing it. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. And I called her over, unfortunately it wasn't a remote situation, and I worked in the same office and pulled up the sent file, and I have in my sent box, you know, itemized who I've sent to, and I'm like, there's 80 emails to you in the past two weeks. And they were all sitting in, you know, buried in with a billion spams on Viagra and Cialis and everything else, um, because of that, and I think there's certain things that you guys can do to mitigate that, like if the email comes from inside the, the network and doesn't ever go outside the network, it necessarily doesn't really need to be spam filtered. Right. Yeah, um, that's all the configuration there. I mean, I, I leave that up to your your technical people. I mean, management can, you know, set the directive as far as how they want it set up, but um, those in control can get pretty technical as far as detection rates. And the good hackers know how to get by them anyway. <laughs> is, there anything, is, there it, any, is there anything uh, that, that you could really say is a secure network? One that's not plugged into the Internet. Okay. <laughs> so as soon as we have a LAN connection. Yeah, pretty much. You have vulnerability, period, and you have to. A, a potential for it. There's, there's risk there by sure. connecting to the Internet. Sure. So it's, it, 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 so it really does come down more than anything else to user behavior. Yeah, I mean that's one of the biggest things. There's, you know, security is built of people, process, and technology. Okay, processes are in place. That's great. There's technology in place, but the people element, you know, that's where they're making the attacks these days. Uh, Bruce Schneier says uh, his quote. He's a worldwide, you know, security expert, and he says, "Amateurs hack systems, professionals hack people." Mm. So the 15-year-old, yeah, can run a script from his parents' basement, but, you know, the professional hacker is going to pretend he's tech support and he needs to reset your password or you need to tell him what your password is so he can fix something for you. Or he's going to work your own network against you, emailing your friends, telling them it's you and you're stuck over somewhere and need some help and, and gain all kinds of personal information that way. It makes me think of like a detective and, and the, 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 the really sophisticated hacker is performing more like a detective doing an investigation than just a technology person spinning some, some script out of Romania or China or what have you. Sure. I mean, social engineering is a big thing, just trying to get information out of people or, or get them to take some type of action. Very cool. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you being with us today. I think you've given everybody uh, a, a lot of things to think about, and, and especially I think your biggest advice is just don't give out any more information than you need to. Exactly. Just It's all common sense. Just don't share it with people that don't need the information. Never be afraid to ask why do you need this information? People are so fast to give away social security numbers these days. It's ridiculous. And to me, that's once you have that number, you can do a lot of things with somebody. If you got a name, social, and, and home a record, 
um, you can just literally go nuts with that information. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you think about it. I mean, say somebody has somebody labeled as their mother on Facebook and their mother has their maiden name up there. Well, your Facebook friends with them, now you know their mother's maiden name. You know, one of the other key pieces of information they need for identity theft. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's one that people I, I really don't think about. I, I don't really dig the the family relationships thing on Facebook. That to me, that should be something that could be run completely internally and only other family members. Like I, you know, people doing genealogy and stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I understand that, but it just is a huge public side risk. Uh, any final thoughts on, on on things for folks today? Um, don't click on things you shouldn't. If you don't know the person that sent it, or if there's an attachment or a funny link, just don't click on it. Uh, especially you know emails or Facebook. Look, it comes down to this. Your friend does not have a secret video of the Osama bin Laden killing, and your oh, mom did not post a video of Casey Anthony's secret confession video. Yeah. Don't yeah. click on this stuff. Those uh, attacks typically uh, use topics that are hot in the media, like tsunamis and earthquakes and, and whatnot. Just just common sense. Don't give up information you shouldn't, and uh, common best practices. I'll, I'll get you a link to uh, some good information for the show notes as well. Well, hey, you know, Jim, I really appreciate you being with us here today. If you ever have anything hot you want to talk about, something that pops up that everybody needs to hear, let me know. We'll get you back on. Or even if it's just a quick email, letting us know about a threat that's popped up that I can put out on the blog or on the forum or Facebook or anywhere else, uh, I'd be happy to do that. And, again, I really I really appreciate you taking the time to come and, and talk about this important issue with us because I do see there's a huge risk to people out there. And we talk about survival all the time, and, and part of that is doing things like staying out of debt. Well, it, it doesn't do you a lot of good to stay out of debt if some dude named Peggy in Romania uh, racks up $70,000 in your name. Exactly. You know, security is one of your top survival priorities. Well, protecting your information is as important as anything else. Well, Jim, again, thank you for being on the show today. Today, folks, this has been Jack Spirico along with Jim Miller helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares, they're living 